0: Hey, we're in part nine. Praise the Lord, part nine. Uh, the series is almost over. We got one more week after this morning. Um, next week, so we're going to conclude the series next week with the problem of doubt. And so, you know, we're not going to tie up every single loose end uh, that you have. There's still certainly going to be questions at the end of the series. Um, and so, how does doubt still play into this? How do, how do more questions still play into this whole thing? Is it okay to question? Is it okay to doubt? All those questions will be addressed next week. Um, but one thing I did forget to mention, actually, in my announcement time, my, my very riveting announcement time, um, was that we are in need of VBS volunteers. Uh, we just found out this past week, Kate sent our staff an email, she said, we have 93 kids already registered for VBS. Uh, yeah, that's something to be excited about, super, super pumped about that. Um, but what that means is that we need more people to wrangle all these 93 kids. And, and honestly, VBS isn't for another two months. Oh, yeah, more importantly, it's the <laughs> you think the pastor would be concerned about love and Jesus, right? Yes. Um, thank you. Very humbling. Very. Thank you, Emily. That's very good. So we, yes, absolutely. We need, most importantly, people to teach our kids about the love of Jesus, not just to wrangle them. But the reality is you will also be wrangling those kids if you're, while you're teaching them about Jesus. Um, but but two months of VBS, I mean, honestly, we could have 150 kids register um, in the next six seven weeks. Uh, so we just need we need people. We need people who are committed to um, to walking with um, you know five or six kids every night and teaching them about the love of Jesus. I would have got there eventually, Emily. I would have got there. I would have got there. Uh, teaching them about the love of Jesus um, and, and um, encouraging them their their faith, their faith walk and, and maybe for the very first time introducing them to the gospel of Jesus, which is super cool. So if you're interested, there are blue sheets just like this back at the Next Step kiosk. Um, you can head back there and we could answer any questions you might have. But really really pray about how you might help with VBS this year um, to really embrace these kids and express Jesus' love. But today we are talking about the problem of relevancy. Before we get into that, I want to I want to address what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. As I mentioned earlier, a little bit already. Um, next week is our is our finale. It's on it's on doubt, which I think is going to be just a really really freeing um, discussion for a lot of people who who kind of feel trapped and maybe um, this need to be certain about every single thing. Uh, on on this side of of heaven. It's 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 a really hard line to walk, but. Um, after the series, if you still have questions, if you still have doubts, um, you know, where do you go from there? You know, so that's going to be the topic f- for next week. And then on June 10th, which would be the following week, we're going to do baptisms, as, as I had mentioned. It's going to be a special Sunday focused primarily on baptisms, focused primarily on um, people's stories and people's testimonials about how they have met Jesus and why they're going through um, baptism, personal stories in preparation for baptism. Um, and then on... June 17th, we are beginning our summer series, uh, Father's Day. It's a series called Storytime with Jesus. Um, we are going to be walking through some of the great stories that Jesus tells. If you guys have ever read the New Testament or the stories of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, you'll know that Jesus was just a master storyteller. Um, the way that he told stories was able to pierce through um, you know, people's doubts and skepticism and their presumptions and um, their hard hearts. And it was just incredible. The the, the stories that he was able to tell um, freed people and confused people, (laughs) to be quite honest. And so we're going to be, over the course of the summer, uh, not the entirety of the summer, but the course of the summer, we're going to be walking through a lot of these stories that Jesus tells, uh, sitting at his feet and listening in on these stories and seeing what they have to say to us within our day-to-day. And then, today, we are talking about the problem of relevancy. Now, for those of you who are committed to church and committed to Jesus and have been coming to a place like this, you know, Restoration Church or other church for most of your life, relevancy probably isn't a problem for you. That's just a fact, right? Relevancy probably isn't... A problem. We, we, we get um, the significance of Jesus. We get why Jesus matters. We get why the church matters. We come here every Sunday, right? We, we don't just waste, we don't believe we're wasting our time when we're doing this. We're coming here because we're, we're believing that it's important and relevant. This isn't a problem for us, but relevancy is a problem. I think, for the high school graduate who is leaving home for the first time and leaving the comforts of her uh, community church, and she's going off to the big university where she is going to be met with skepticism, she's going to be met with doubt, and she's going to be met with all sorts of questions that she has never asked herself before. Relevancy is certainly going to be a problem for her as she has introduced all sorts of new worldviews. With professors who will openly condemn this Christian faith that she has held on to as just a Ignorant fairy tale. Certainly, relevancy is going to be an issue for her. Relevancy is going to be a problem for your neighbor, or your relevancy is a problem for your neighbor, who thinks that because, you know, he's just a decent father, he's an okay husband, but he's a decent father, right? He's a good father. He's never committed any serious crimes. He's always maintained a job. He's always uh, paid his bills. He doesn't have too much debt. You know, he's living a really good middle-class Bucks County suburban life. Man, he's just a good guy. Life is going well. He doesn't really need the church. There's no significance for him. What could the church or Jesus possibly have to say to him? He thinks that if he were to die today, then he would be perfectly fine. He's a good person. He's not like all those people who are incarcerated. He's a good guy. Of course, he's going to be in heaven if you he were to die today. Relevancy is an issue for your friend who loves you, but thinks that this whole Jesus thing is just a crush that you lean on. Oh, Jesus, you know, he's just a crutch that you lean on to help you sleep better at night and to comfort you as you sit next to your parents on their deathbed. This whole idea of God who made us and loves us and wants to be with us for all eternity is such a joke, come on. We know what science says about how the world works, and you can't simply believe that. Come on, it's just a crutch that you must lean on. It's a problem for your brother who thinks that there are more important things to do with his time than spend it at church. I mean, there's softball games to be played. There's your kid's baseball schedule. There's your kid's soccer schedule. There's travel teams that your kids can participate in. Of course, there's more important things to do than church. There's, there's Eagles pregame shows that need to be watched. There's flag footballs. There's birthday parties. There's races. There's work. There's breakfast. There's sleeping in. There's yard work. There's the paper. There's television to watch. Nearly everything and anything will take priority for a lot of people over this thing on Sunday morning that we do. can't be relevant. There's more important things to do with our time. That's a problem for a coworker who thinks this Jesus is just sheer nonsense. Total nonsense. Maybe if the church was meaningful and addressed issues that you know, we're actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Provided solutions that weren't just pie in the sky. Jesus loves you, the Bible tells you so responses to our real intangible problems and the questions that we're all asking. Maybe if the church actually addressed something that mattered, then perhaps the church could be relevant. So you need to know that the reason we are in a series like this, Skeptics Welcome, is because what I just, you know, expressed to you, these are real thoughts by real people. Do you guys know someone who has expressed thoughts like these? Don't we all know someone, man, a coworker, a, a brother, a sister, a family member, a child, a neighbor, a friend, somebody who has expressed to you perhaps, hey, Christianity, that's fine for you, but just keep it on your side of the fence. I don't want your Jesusness rubbing off on me. It's just not relevant. It's just not important. It's not going to be something that I invest my time in. We all know someone like that. You run, up, you run up against people like this every single day in our neighborhood or on our sports team, on our kids' sports teams, or your place of employment, your own family. We all know someone who thinks that the church is just one big waste of time. But isn't it also true that these same people ponder and wonder? Don't you, don't you guys know that? I mean, we all know someone who is, is thinking that the church is just a joke, right? That the, the church just can't be relevant to us today. But aren't these same people pondering and wondering some things about how the world works or about why they're feeling the way that they are? You know, maybe not so much about what happens so much within the church, right? Uh, a lot of people could care less what happens in here. We think, they just think we're one big cult, you know? They just think we're, we're coming in here and we're sacrificing animals on an altar somewhere. And it's like, it's all weird and we're lighting candles and incense and dancing around. No, they probably don't think that. (coughs) But people maybe don't think that what we do in here, maybe that's not the questions that they're asking. But aren't the people pondering? Aren't everybody that we know, isn't everyone we know either pondering or wondering about forgiveness? I mean, isn't that just like a burden on nearly every single person's heart that you know of? I wronged someone, will they ever forgive me? Or I am so ticked at that person, I don't think I could ever forgive them. I forgiveness, it's one of those universal things. And, and, and how much grace is enabling my child? You know, I, I want to be a loving father, I want to be a gracious father, but, but at what point does that grace become enablement? You know, isn't that a question that a lot of people ask? And, and why, why do we get out of bed in the morning? You know, why, why, why do I care to get out of bed in the morning and go to that, and go to that place that, that pays me that paycheck, you know? Why do I go to work? Why do I get out of bed in the morning? Why do I feel lost at the job that I go to? Why, why, why is the world the way it is, and, and what do I do when people treat me badly? Which happens all the time, you know? Aren't, aren't people pondering and wondering questions like this? Why do I feel bad for others when they hurt? Why, why do I care about issues of justice? You know, when I turn on the news and I see that there are wrongs committed by other people, why do I? Why do I care? Why am I concerned? Why do I feel guilty when I do certain things? Why do I lose my patience with my kids? You know, why are my kids going to think of me when they're older? What, what are they going to think of their father when they're older? Because of the way I'm treating them right now. Why is my household in such a wreck? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why do I fear? You know, why, why do I become so depressed and so anxious when I look at my bank account? You know, I say this all the time, that these are universal human questions. And the world has attempted to answer these questions. You need to know that. The world has tried to provide us answers to these questions. But the answers that the world provides usually only creates more questioning. It creates more pondering. It creates more wonder in people. It doesn't provide sufficient answers, and so it creates a pondering, wondering, searching humanity. And so maybe that's your story this morning. Huh. Maybe that's your neighbor's story. Maybe that's your coworker's story. Maybe that's your friend's story. Maybe that's your family member's story. Yeah, the church is so irrelevant. They couldn't care less what happens here, they couldn't care less what goes on here. It certainly can't be for them, and yet, aren't they the ones who are asking all of the most meaningful questions in the world, and they're looking to the world to provide them answers that the world is incapable of answering? I'm going to invite my friends Dan and Alex this morning forward, and they're going to share a part of their story this morning about how the church, at one point in their life, was an irrelevant institution. Uh, But somehow, as you guys probably all know, Dan and Alex, um, obviously something changed and now we're going to hear about what that was and to, <laughs> to <laughs> what extent the church is relevant now. So please welcome Dan and Alex to the stage. <clears throat> Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks for walking across the street in the monsoon this morning. Appreciate that. Um, we'll very far. We'll get, we'll get to them living very far in just a minute here, actually. It's one of the, qu- it's one of the questions. Yeah, it was, actually. but It's really warm up it's here. Uh, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it is. Someone want to crack <laughs> windows or, or um, turn the air on? That would be awesome. Thanks, oh, Maybe it was me. So guys, um, provide, us, so, so provide us some experiences, um, tell us some stories about how the church was like, completely irrelevant to you um, at some point in your life, you know, prior to actually being invested in the church and in Jesus. How was the church completely irrelevant to you guys? Ladies first. Ladies first. <laughs> oh, what a gentleman. What a gentleman. Yeah, we'll yes. totally be entertained this morning. Um, be great.
1: So we're super quiet people. Um, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, the church just really didn't, um, wasn't a thing for us. We didn't go to church. Um, I grew up a creaster, as I like to call it. Went to church on Christmas and Easter. Although I did go to Catholic high school, and that was usually when I took my nap, was when we went to mass, um, <laughs> to catch up <laughs> on everything. So there was that. But other than that, um, I didn't really, I was actually kind of, and actually probably still um, a little anti-religion religion in general. Mm -hmm, Um, So, you know, I've had a (coughs) lot of debates with people about, you know, religion as a whole and how my feelings are on that. Um, I had very strong opinions about that. I know any of you who know me are surprised at that. Um, (laughs) But that was, I mean, for me, it just wasn't relevant at all. Like, it just wasn't, it was the church that I had in mind and what I thought church was, was more of a um, pointing a finger in your face and telling you what's wrong with your life kind of thing. Um, so that was me. No.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, in some ways, it wasn't even that the church was irrelevant. Like, you were almost anti-church uh, because was, the, was the church anti-church. was a judgmental, hypocritical, Absolutely. manipulative institution that right. Was, was... Right,
1: it was man's way of controlling other
0: men. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Uh, my story little I was also raised Catholic, um, <laughs> went to Catholic school until I was asked to leave my Catholic high school. <laughs> <laughs> he nice. redecorated
1: his uh, principal's car.
2: It was a disciplinarian. it's like you don't even know me Uh, so um uh a lot of you know I was in the military and uh prior to stepping off um into Iraq I was saved because I needed my insurance policy in case I didn't make it out so I figured I better (coughs) glam on some god just in case it didn't work out for me um you know, you got to you head your bets, you know, you got to yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, say the know. prayer, you know, do something to, if I could at least wiggle myself into purgatory as us, uh, former Catholics like to think I could work my way up from there, you know, paint some fences, <laughs> break some lawns, you know, something, earn my way in. Um, but I mean, you know, it, and I'm a pretty crass person. Again, anyone who knows us, knows we're, yeah. Um, so we used to joke, I'm like, well, if Allah's in charge, we're, in trouble anyway when we get up there so i don't don't know what to tell you but yeah so i um i was saved literally two hours before we got in the humvees to drive uh three days from kuwait to ramadi iraq um and then i was kind of christian during the deployment christian and christian light you know i'd pray before missions and then when we got back i wouldn't even acknowledge god um Came home in the states, had all my fingers and toes. Um, thought I was in pretty good shape, so God was gone, just out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Yeah, i move and, over. I catch uh, you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> out of the picture, um, you know, wasn't wasn't a factor in my life at all. Was immediately replaced <laughs> with <laughs> women and alcohol and doing whatever I wanted because I, you know, I just came back from war and uh, I don't think I stepped foot in a church for like a decade. Um, between coming home and, you know, joining Restoration. So that was, that's how it went with me and God.
0: All right. So there's always something else, right? There's always something else to occupy yeah. your time, your energy, your emotions, um, your spirituality, right? There's always something else. And so uh, the church and Jesus was just completely irrelevant to you guys. Um, and then you guys decided to buy a house literally across the street from a church, which is this church, right? Um, <laughs> And so what were what was your impressions of like this church across the street? Like why why did you or what was your first connection maybe to this this church? It had a preschool. Had a preschool. Okay.
1: When we moved over here, my kids were 3 and 4. Um and we needed a preschool and I'm from New Jersey where it's part of the school district, so I was like, what do you mean you have to pay for preschool? And then they had a preschool here and it was actually affordable. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And it's right across the street. We could just walk. And that was it. That was my thought process there.
0: All right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, y- you obviously knew it was a Christian preschool because it was in a, in a church, right? Mm-hmm. But did that ever cross your mind? Were, were you ever concerned that your kids were going to um, be indoctrinated into some?
1: No, yeah. I mean, he went wow. to, what, 12 years at Catholic school and I went to Catholic high school and that's like nine and a half at Catholic school.
0: It d- didn't phase you at all. Yeah, right? no, I mean, yeah. we learned
1: a ton there. So yeah, there's nothing you can't, not reinforce at home and just let them forget. Yeah, yeah so you, I mean, you,
0: whatever they learned here, you could just dismiss at home, or yeah, yeah, they with just candy yeah. or toys, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right. I just,
2: you know, I honestly like. There's the jokey part of it where, like, I expected Finn to come in with the Bible and a little suit and you know, <laughs> call me a sinner. Start um, knocking on people's doors. Yeah, 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 but um, yeah. I mean, we weren't overly concerned about. it. We wanted them to be good people, and we had no clue. I mean, let's be generic. We're good people. Um, yeah, right. But, yeah, you know, we wanted them. We want them to have an understanding of God. I mean...
1: Yeah, Brooklyn and Finn have an older sister. Um, Brooklyn and Finn are uh, my kids from a previous marriage. They're his kids now, but my kids from a previous marriage, and they have an older sister. And I remember when she was like seven or eight asking me Mm. who God was. And it was just kind of like, what do you mean, who's God? Like, uh, how how does that even... Like, how do you not... Nobody even, like, spoke about it. Like, yeah, I was like anti-church, but I still at least knew who God was, you know, and had this idea at least in my head of who God was, Um, and I didn't want that for my kids, but then I didn't want to send them to CCD either, because that was a fun time in my life, Mm -hmm.
0: so. So what were some of your impressions of this church then? I mean, because you lived across the street, obviously you were going to have interactions with us, and me, and, <laughs> like, what it, so um, t- tell us what she thought.
1: I'm laughing because he knows where this is going. Um, So I loved the preschool. I love the preschool. I love Miss Diana. I think that she loves the kids like they're hers, and that's probably mm-hmm. one of my Absolutely. favorite things about her. Mm-hmm. Um, um <coughs> But, you know, every time we would go to a gathering when...
2: The Valentine's Day? Kin-
0: kin- yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Okay, so Luke, their second, is a year behind my second. So when Finn was in fourth grade can kin- uh, preschool here... Um, we would run into Ross again, or he would, like, pop into, like, all the gatherings and stuff like that, and I'd be like, oh, God, he's going to ask me to come to church on Sunday. <laughs> I'm like, here he comes, like, don't let me, like, uh, he's going to ask me. And, like, I mean, he said, you know, stop by if you want to, and I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, but, I mean, I love the preschool as a whole, I just didn't want anything to do with church.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. right. And then, um... We did the Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Valentine's yeah. Party. So we come yeah. to this Valentine's Day
1: party. Finn's, um, I was going to say senior year. Uh, yeah. Finn's fourth grade preschool year. And Journey comes on. And I'm like, I love Journey. My mom loves Journey. Yeah. This is great. And I look over and Ross is dancing with Sophie. And he's singing Journey to her. And I looked at Dan and I was like, he knows who Journey is? <laughs> he's like, ow, he's a person. Really Nobody know. knows who Journey is. <laughs> and I was like, well, I just, I mean, like, I don't know. we we grew up Catholic, you see the priest, and you're like, he's the priest, and you're the person. Yeah. And, the, un- you know, that's, right, that's yeah. not how yeah. it works. And then you have your pastor saying Journey to his kid. And I was like, yeah. all right.
2: And the, the fact that he had a family, like, you know, with Catholicism, like, I i remember when I was in grade school, Father duty was our principal. And uh, he oh, was he, was
1: pa- he was a, he was an altar boy, too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Um, so and he was like bigger than life, like super mean. I would never like if I was having a crisis in life, he's the absolute last person I would go up to a drunk on the street to ask for advice before I go to him. Like it just wasn't. It was never that kind of relationship. Like I remember, and we had a really old priest, Father uh, Glitch, who was like ninety three, and I used to have to. I still remember a Catholic mass because I would have to read it upside down to him because he couldn't see anymore Um, when he was. Doing church, so I can recite the whole Catholic mass. It doesn't mean it means anything to me. Um, so that's like when I saw, and Ross is actually younger than me, which is like a little weird to me too. But um, but we're you know we're close not in me. age, and like he just didn't, he didn't seem kind of yeah, like he was a pastor. I'm not going to go talk to the pastor. It was just it was a weird relationship. But oh yeah, um, and
1: then he friended me on Facebook, <laughs> and I was like, oh uh, no, I, I want to be friends with the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> it like, really not need to be my friend. Uh-huh.
2: Well, we actually, you saw him struggling with Luke one day, right? Oh, no. So,
1: so we don't get out of not coming to anything because we live across the street and my kids can see everything from our front window. So, like, movie nights, anytime there's a blow up, a bounce house, something going on, we have to be here because...
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, So, we would come to the movie nights and I, Dan was sleeping for work one night and, uh, I went to Target by myself with all three kids, and so I came back, and I was like, ready to kill somebody. I was like, let me just take the kids across the street. They can run around with their friends, and I can sit down for five minutes. And I, I'm come trudging across the street with like the baby in a stroller who's screaming because he's not a great baby. And, um, and like the other two are yelling and screaming, and Ross sees me, and we had like little to no relationship at this point, and I'm like, and he's like, you all right? Alex, you okay? And like they're getting stuff out of his trunk and I said, Yeah, I just got back from Target with all three kids by myself. Like, that's enough said. And um Ross was like, Yeah, I body slammed Luke the other day. And I was like
0: Are you allowed to do that as a pastor? Yeah. you allowed yeah. to do that? Yeah. yeah. Are you can help <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, the questions we all ask, right? Yeah. That's good. So what finally brought you to start thinking about walking in the doors on a Sunday morning?
1: <laughs> um so
2: well I'll start. Yeah, I was gonna say. So my uh my, my both of my parents uh, have passed away um, over the last year so. Um I'm an orphan. Um, it's, it's awkward, I don't like to talk about it, but <laughs> <the last year. laughs> now um but Dave there, the young gentleman back there in the red shirt, uh, my friend Dave Deem, is a <laughs> is a police chaplain. Um, I think most of you know that Wave Dave. Say good morning. <laughs> um, so I I was a Philly cop for ten years. I recently um, decided to, to leave the job. And um, Dave would actually come in on Thursdays and talk to our uh, talk to our squad, pray for us before we went out. And um, when I first transferred to this was in the 15th district in Northeast Philly. Um, I transferred there from the 35th district in Allegheny. And my old partner was there. A bunch of cops that I knew were there. And the first time Dave came in. We finished roll call, and I'm getting ready to go get my stuff ready to go on the street. My partner grabs me and he says, "Hey, stay and listen to this guy." So I stayed and listened, and you know I was interested in God, and again, I was going out on the street as a cop, so let's get them prayers going. you know what i mean i need I need that little extra insurance policy um and then I listened more and more, and you know now I was almost mature enough to actually absorb the information um and Dave was persistent, persistent, I guess he he saw a little a little crack, he could work his way through, <laughs> and uh, invited me to breakfast, and, you know, anywhere that has Scrapple, you can get me there to talk to me about anything, so um, <laughs> so we went to breakfast a couple times, and then I started meeting at Alex, like, hey, maybe we should check out church, it doesn't seem that, like, off the wall, let's let's check it out, let's check it out, and that was for, like, a year. And I said, no. Yeah. Um, anyway. uh, so, yeah. so,
1: I think that maybe you should hear about <laughs> how we met real quick, just to um, set the present precedence of, like, our relationship as a whole. Um, Dan was a cop in the 35th District, and I was an ER trauma nurse at Einstein, and he... I was taking care of a stabbing victim, and Dan came in to take the report on the patient, uh, on my patient, and that's kind of how we met. So that kind of set the role for everything that we did. Um, and...
2: Those scrubs.
1: We're in charge, dude. <laughs> um... <No. laughs> <sighs> um so, so that just kind of tells you where our mindset was. And, yeah, so then he starts coming home. Like, he transfers to the 15th. He starts coming home, and he's like, we should try church. And I'm like, dude, I've been married before. I have two kids from a previous marriage. You've been married twice. Like, we're having a baby out of wedlock. We can't go to church. We're going to, like, bust into flames the second we walk through the door. I'm like, are you kidding right now? I'm like, we cannot go to church. Right. So for, like, a year, he asked me to go to church, and we wouldn't, I couldn't go to church. Then I had Jamie. And then we got married after I had Jamie while I was on maternity leave so that we, you know, could actually get vacation together. And um, so we got married, and then the next day we decided – I decided it was okay. We could come to church
0: yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: now yeah. that we were married.
2: Yeah, at our reception. She's like, we're going mm-hmm. to church tomorrow. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Dave actually married us, too. Oh, um,
1: that yeah. was the best part of this. That was was
2: the, yeah. The, so. so
1: So, he meets Dave, and, he d- and he's like, listen, let's ask Dave to marry us. And I'm like, cool, it'll be free. Um <laughs> and then he comes home like two a week before we get married, and he's like, Dave wants to do marriage classes with us, and I was like, <laughs> No. Um, I was like, and he's like, Al, just listen to what he has to say. You know how to nod your head and act like you know what he's talking about, like you're a professional. <laughs> just move on. Um, so then we Dave comes in for this first sit down and he pulls out
0: Ephesians Ephesians five, five. yeah, and I and
1: I think that my husband, which is like you know wives submit to your husband, and I think my husband could like feel my eye muscles twitching. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be. This is gonna be. I'm gonna ask this guy to leave my house, and then he's gonna marry us. Um, And so he's like, no, but I want you to know that it's taken out of context. And so he goes into this whole thing, and like I was like, oh, all right, fine, I'll listen. Um, So. You know, that's kind of actually how this whole thing started for me was him bringing up Ephesians five and me being like, "This is gonna be bad." And then he was like, "No, it's you know, it's it means a whole different thing. It's it's taken out of context. Sure, you can, you know, beat your wife over the head with the first uh, with the first line of that, and you know, people Mm -hmm. have done it." Um, But I was like, "All right, I'm listening now. Like, now that you're telling me that's not right." So that's why I think that I decided (laughs) that. it was okay to come to church the day after our wedding. Because I was like, all right, fine, we'll try it. I was like I, like, I like the idea of church. I like, you know, my kids having something to, like, butt up against with that. Um, I, like, I like the outreach programs here and what we do for the community and things like that. And that's actually what brought me into church. It was not Jesus. It was, all right, cool, we can get the kids involved in, in yeah, movie night. Exactly. Yeah. We can get the kids involved in stuff that goes on in the community.
0: Yeah. So... So you you started coming, uh, you weren't really like committed to the faith component no. of what we did, but the community component, which is which is cool. Um, so then, how did your you know in, impression of church rub up against what you had previously known? And then how did it all of a sudden become like relevant? How did it all of a sudden begin <laughs> to become something that you almost relied on rather than just something you attended on like a Sunday?
1: So we had those first couple we- uh, first couple years <coughs> for me, anyway, where. Um, You know, and I know a lot of people have had these moments where you're sitting out there and Ross starts talking about something and you're like, why are you talking directly about me in front of everyone? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, and I was like, all right, this is starting to make sense. Um, And it's kind of funny because I said the same things that my family says to me now because they're all from the same boat that I'm in and they are all like, yeah, it's like I love everything that the church represents, but it's a little too much Jesus, um, you know, if you could just take some of the Jesus stuff out there, I'd go to church more often. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> that's what it's about. But I felt the same way. Um, and then I probably felt that way up until this past fall. Um, but oh. do you want to ask the next question? <laughs> go ahead.
2: Um. No. No. I'll go. I'll, I'll Hold go. on. Shh.
1: Time out.
0: Yeah. All right. Sure.
1: So when you're asking how the church um, affects our lives and what, how it became relevant in our life, I think we decided when Ross asked us to do this that we were just going to go all in and tell you the whole story um, because that's the type of people we are. And plus, I don't think that you would understand it if we didn't tell you the truth, um, the whole truth. Um, but I want you to know that when we tell you this story, that it's a story of love, and it's not something that we're telling you for sympathy or empathy or anything um, that you might feel but it's our story, and if it helps you, then that's awesome. Um, if it makes the church relevant to you, then that's what we're here for. Um, and if it doesn't, then, hey, we're still, we're people, and life is messy, and that's what it's about. Um, so.
2: So um, initially when we got involved in the church, I was, you know, I, I have a, a huge ego um, that I'm, I'm working on now, you know, being a soldier and then being a cop, and, you know on the surface, oh, Dan's this great guy. He's, he's a great, oh, look at him, he's a good dad. He's, you know, and I had a very look-at-me attitude. Um, I worked overnights for most of my career, and uh, as Ross and Dave have told me, men love the dark. Um, I have PTSD and a traumatic brain injury. Um, I tell you that as a preface, not as an excuse, because I'm still responsible for all my actions. I um, would closet drink, and then I started an extramarital marital affair um, with, a, yeah, with a female police officer. Um, and, you know, I got all entangled in this, this situation and, you know, was ready to just jump ship and leave my wife and children um, and move on to the next person because, as Alex said, um, this is the third time I've been married. So for me, it was just easy to cut and run be like every other cop I know, pay my child support, you know, get my wages garnished, work enough overtime, so I could get to the bar and take my girlfriend out. Um, so I actually ran literally ran. I parked our car at a train station and hopped on a train like it was the old west um, and this is where this church, especially is relevant because Alex called for help. And because I wasn't being the man I needed to be and wasn't there to help my family, Emily and Ross were. And everyone that she called from this church stepped up in any way they could. I disappeared for two days. Uh, and then Alex, you know, called me. She knew I, I was having a nervous breakdown. Um, and she knew that I was literally wrapped up with the devil. 1,000,000% wrapped up with the devil at that point. Um, she, uh, you know, she convinced me to come home. Um, I got off the train. By some grace of God, she didn't run me over with the car. Uh, <laughs> uh, she had the kids there. Um, but I was my plan was to come home, appease her, and keep doing what I was doing and not get any help. And I have two sisters. Um, my older sister is very maternal because, like I said, my parents are gone. Um, So between her and Alex and uh, Ross and Emily and everyone from the church who knew about the situation, I was still so stubborn and still thought I could do whatever I wanted. And it literally came to the point in the middle of the night that Alex caught me on the phone talking to this other woman and the hand of God came down on me.
1: Literally and
2: figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, but you know what? It was at that point it, it snapped something into place, and I knew I was having I was having a nervous breakdown. And whatever would have happened for the rest of my life, um, without God and without my family and my life right now, I would be in the bottom of a bottle somewhere. Um, you know, hopefully I would still have a job. Who knows? I mean, that culture down there isn't very god um, Friendly, yeah. Um, so the drinking, I mean, I literally, as a police officer in Philadelphia, went to work and drank at work. And could have potentially been in a shooting 10 minutes later. Um, but I didn't care. I was doing what I wanted. I can do what I want. I, there's no consequence for me. Um, so, like I said, though, God, God picks you up when you, when you need them the most. Um, and it literally came to a point that I was on the phone with the veterans crisis line. With Alex Alex standing by my side that entire time, not this other person who was trying to convince me to run away from my family that everything would be okay eventually, that all I needed to do was leave. And with Alex within this close to me, not giving up on me, and throwing Jesus' love from her in, into me, and I'll never be able to thank her and, uh, at this church and God, uh, enough for that, for letting me become the man that she deserves and that our kids deserve.
1: And I think that part of that was, um, at least this is what our marriage counselor tells us, is that my ability, because I was an ear nurse for so long, my ability to separate his mental illness from his actions are probably what kept me that, standing that close to him without murdering him. Um, but, you know, I, I remember we in the days following we went with Ross and Emily, and Ross is always preaching you know, more of Jesus, less of us, more of Jesus, less of us. And I literally said to them, there's a whole lot of Jesus in this room, and there's not a whole lot of me, because me would have killed him already. Um, you know, and, and, and I just kept feeling something. Like, <laughs> I remember during starting point saying to Ross and Emily, you know, how does God talk to you? Does he, like, literally talk to you? Because every um, conversation I've had with a psych patient, the most common auditory hallucination is God talking to you. So, (laughs) I'm like, so if he starts talking to me, how do I know I'm not just crazy? Um, so, you know, I have a lot of experience with that, and I could see that my husband was (coughs) losing his mind, literally, um, and I think that that had a lot to do with us, but even to the point where, like, we had been trying to get Dan for help, uh, Dan's been home 12 years, and this year was the first year that he actually got help, the help that he needed, and, um. Even to the point where like we couldn't get in in touch with the VA because you know they're really super responsive. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Emily reached out to someone who used to work for the VA and they got a number and we got we got him into treatment that week. Um Well and that was like a I'll just say that was a bad because I was like, what do I do for these guys? And like you need to talk to the certain person. I talked to her and she's like, Here's who you need to talk to and then it just went Yeah, and it so just kinda like within a week we had 'em in in, yeah. in uh Treatment and you know, and so all right, that part was kind of awesome in retrospect. How about that? Um, <laughs> but fast forward, you know when you 're talking about all things in your life and all your relationships, I think that we 're better parents for it, and we often say now that it was the best worst mistake he ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, our relationship is far better than it was. We found an amazing christian based marriage counselor um, that we 've been going to see for a while now, and it's it 's pretty awesome and then um, so I said to Dan, I'm like, listen, you can be a husband and a father, or you can be a cop, but you can't do both. Yeah. Um, you just can't anymore. Like, it just affects your PTSD, and we just can't. You're, li- you're going to have to make a choice, and this is what it is. You're either picking us, or you're picking your job, and that's what it's coming down to. Um, and so Dan left, and he hasn't been back to work since October 29th. Um, and so, but then, you know, you're like, that's 60% of our income. Where's yeah. that going?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. for everyone who thinks that, you know, you hear, oh, cops are underpaid, I was making over hundred grand a year easily without breaking a sweat. So we're not that underpaid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, but, yeah, so we, um, so he's burning all his vacation in the sick time, and we had to figure out how we were going to do this financially. Um, and then in steps, financial peace. And we took financial peace starting in January. And by mm. the end of that, we had figured out how to pay all our bills with, on one income. Um, and paid
0: off
2: twelve grand in
1: debt. I paid off sixteen grand in debt in mm-hmm. the three months before he ran out of time. Um, so you know the the talk of like where our life would be if we didn't have the church or if we didn't have Jesus is like non-existent. We've both been through marriages before, divorces, divorce. divorce. Right. You know, um, I would have had my three kids across the street and I would have done what I had to do because that's what I am. That's what I do. Um, and Dan would have been I uh, don't somewhere else. Um, but, you know, to, to talk about relevancy, I mean, there's, like I said, we've, we've been through marriages before. I didn't survive without it, without Jesus. So yeah. I don't, that's it. That's what I got.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for your courage in sharing that part of your story. Um, and then on the 10th, you are going to be uh, yes. baptized, so which is really neat. right? So it's
1: kind of interesting because last summer... <coughs> He you. comes home and goes, I'm going to be baptized. And I was like, mm, I don't know if you should be baptized. And here he was should have, definitely should have not been baptized. But this year, uh, moving forward with our faith and with um, Jesus, we are going to be baptized this year yeah. together.
0: That's cool. So. Really cool. <laughs> well, th- thank you for sharing that, that your, your story, um, that part of it in particular. What, what would you say to somebody who is still questioning whether the church is relevant? Like... <laughs> Um, this just a meaningless institution that you waste your time in on Sundays, and being invested in this family like it's just a waste of time. What would you say to someone who, who thinks that or says that to you?
1: Um, what would I say to me about? Yeah, what would you say ago? to yourself? Okay. Yeah, a couple. Yeah. I just kept coming. I don't know why, and I don't know. You know, I know when things clicked. Um, but you know, if you're not there yet, it's okay. If you're not, if you don't, if you're sitting in your seat and you don't know whether you actually have faith and you actually believe in God, it's all right. Just keep showing up. And eventually things are going to click for you. Um, but it's completely irrelevant. And I don't know that we've ever belonged to or I've never belonged to something that mm-hmm. was this much family. I no. uh, meant this much to us. So just keep showing up.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is absolutely real. I was in the army for 10 years and that was my family. And I was a cop for 10 years and that was my family. And they were all superficial relationships. When I've heard from one cop, two cops since I've left that job. One is my partner. He's been my partner my entire career, so he's he's practically family. And another random cop who just wanted to talk to me to tell me that he missed having me around because I'm always cracking jokes and whatever. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, so that's how deep that relationship was. In the meantime, be from our small group to just our our. Average friendships from here from to the service stuff. There is not one person that I couldn't call at 2 o'clock in the morning in this church that I know who wouldn't be out of bed to come help us and vice versa. Yeah. And, I mean, <clears throat> I'm going into real estate now, and my friend Ed there is taking me under my, his wing. He's got 30 years of experience, and he reached out to me because he, he prayed on it and felt it. Hmm. and. Yeah, that's cool. So this is real. This is one million percent real. There's no doubt about it. It's not this building. It's the people in this building. Yeah, yeah. and it's the mission. And, and it's, the relationship it's, with yeah. God. And and the re- I mean, it's it, don't look for that big miracle. Yeah, don't our look life for is just like stringing yeah.
1: small miracles yep. one yep. after another.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. having a hundred thousand dollar salary going and being able to pay our bills and pay our mortgage and take care of our kids and have them not really want for anything. That's a miracle.
0: Yeah, you Yeah.
2: Know, so there's, God's working, God's working, and apparently he loves a lost cause, so. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I'm going to pray for you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, let's, let's, um, let's thank Dan and Alex for their courage this morning and sharing. <laughs> uh, Jesus, thank you, thank you that um, there is more of you, and less of these two, and how that has sustained them. Um, through some really, really hard, hard life experiences and choices, Father. Um, I pray that the, the continuation of this marriage, Father, and this family and this body um, would just continue to be tighter and tighter and that uh, their faith would just continue to grow um, and that they would ha- have this, this courage to continue to share their stories so that many more Father, who are in similar situations might find hope uh, in the midst of it. So thank you for, for you know, the, me- the mess and thank you for um, your grace to work through it all. They do something really beautiful in it. So we do thank you for Dan and Alex and their willingness this morning to share their story. We pray this in your name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So guys, bear with me. Um, I got got just a few more minutes, a few more thoughts on this morning, and I think it's gonna be a good conclusion for you. Uh, So there's a story in the Gospel of John. You probably, A lot of you are very familiar with this story. Uh, Jesus one day is walking uh, in the countryside uh, just north of, of his hometown in, in Galilee, up in the region of Samaria, and he sees this woman who is drawing water from a well. And he asked her for a drink, and her response was, well, you're a Jew, so how could you ask me for a drink, right? Don't you know that you Jews think us Samaritans are just the s- slime of the earth? We are dogs, we are worthless scum, like you do not associate with Samaritans you think we are horrible. Jews do not associate with homo- uh, Samaritans. Don't you don't you knew that don't you know that you despise us? Don't you know that you consider us worthless? There is no unconditional value with Samaritans according to the Jews. And Jesus replies, "Well, my friend, if you knew the gift of God." You know, what, what if I did give you unconditional value? You know, what, what if I did give you unconditional worth? What if I did embrace you unconditionally? What if in all of your mess, in all of your muck, in all of the, the, the junk that is your life, what if I did embrace you? Would that change the way that you viewed yourself? Well, look, man, you know the conversation goes. My life is hard. I'm tired. All I do is carry water back and forth between the village and this well all day. I'm here here in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day, because I have to do this now because I'm despised by my community. Nobody wants to be around me. I'm a wreck. My life is a mess. It's not a glamorous job. There's no praise for this work. I am not valued. And so Jesus offers her water that will take away her thirst. And, of course, she thinks it's magic, and so she just wants this water. Please take away this thirst so I don't have to come here every single day and draw water from this well. And so Jesus responds by telling her to go get her husband and then come back. But she wasn't married. She was a concubine. She was somebody's slave wife. She was somebody's backup plan. She was, she was the, uh, the, the person that someone held on to just in case their first plan didn't pan out. She had been married, she tells him, but it's been a while. She had actually been married and divorced five times. In their day, women weren't, married to, weren't permitted to initiate divorce. Only men could do that, and men could actually do it for any single reason that they wanted. If the, if the wife burnt the toast, you could offer her divorce papers. You know? If you just thought she was annoying, if you just thought she was in, uh, something in, intolerant witch, you uh, whatever you want, any, any annoyance, anything that perturbed you about this woman, you could just offer her divorce papers on the spot. She was annoyance, she was an irritation over and over and over again. She was annoyance, and she was an irritation. she's proved to her husband after husband after husband by this by her divorce papers right This is what she knew about herself. she was a worthless piece of scum who could not please anybody for some reason. This woman was unwanted and rejected but here is Jesus sitting and talking with a woman who is he is you know pulling apart all the hurt and the pain and the frustration and the sadness and he's present with her and he's sitting with her and she she wrestles through her life as she unpacks her life as she as she confesses all of this this horrible stuff how she feels about herself and eventually after jesus reveals to her that that he's the messiah she runs back to the village shouting to everybody with an earshot come See a man who told me everything I ever did, right? Come see a man who knows me, who has heard me, who sees me, and in all my pain and all my hurt and chaos, didn't shun me or condemn me or shame me or guilt me. This man knows my most intimate secrets, and yet, with him, I feel safe. I laid it all on the table. I mean, I I told him everything about myself. I laid it all out there. He knows my most intimate secrets, and yet I feel safe. All she did was share her story of encountering Jesus. That's all she did. She shared her story of encountering Jesus. All she did was share about what she knew of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and meaning and purpose and fulfilled longing and justice and restoration and hope and peace. All she did was share her story. And they came out of the town. The whole town came out. And they began to make their way toward him. So the whole town, you know, drops what they're doing and they come running to Jesus. In the meantime, Jesus' disciples have arrived. And Jesus tells them to look at the crowds coming, right? This whole flock of people from this town is running towards Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples, look. Look at all these people coming out to them. Open your eyes, he says, and look at the Fields, he calls these people. They are ripe for the harvest. Open your eyes. Do you not notice how eager the world is to meet Jesus? Do you not see how the world is longing to be forgiven? He would tell his disciples. Do you not see how the world is longing to be embraced unconditionally with grace and mercy and love? Do you not see how the world is so desperately wants to be free? but is burdened by sin and by apathy. I mean, look around, Jesus would say, the harvest is ripe. Look at these people running. The harvest is ripe, the harvest is plentiful. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. And he loved me in spite of everything I did. And he forgave me in spite of everything I did. And he knew me intimately. All my filth and all my junk and all of my mess that is my life was laid bare. And he embraced me nonetheless. And everyone who secretly felt all the same things that she felt. All those people who were pondering and wondering that need to be forgiven. The guilt, the shame, the anger, the impatience, the bitterness, the apathy, the remorse, the regret, the caving into temptation, the hatred, the sadness, the depression, the self-pity, the chaos within relationships and within households, and the weight of carrying it all. Experience that Jesus certainly is relevant, as he is the solution to it. So they begged Jesus to stay in their town. They begged him to stay in their town, and he did. Many more became believers throughout the next two days that he stayed in their town. You see, they were introduced to Jesus through the invitation of a friend. And then they met Jesus personally. And then they said to the woman, we no longer believe that because of what you have said. We've met Jesus for ourselves. We've heard for ourselves. We've met Jesus personally. We now are free. We now are redeemed. We now are saved we now have new life because we are forgiven and we have purpose and we have worth and we have been met with grace we no longer just believe because of what you have said we have heard for ourselves we have met jesus personally and we know that this man is the savior of the world so my friends is jesus relevant your story answers that question And my challenge to you today is to ask yourself, who do you know that needs to hear your story? Because isn't everybody pondering? Isn't everybody wondering? You have an incredible opportunity to invite someone into new life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the story of Dan and Alex. Thank you for all of our stories. Thank you for the story of the woman at the well, Father, for she was such a mess. And yet she was embraced with the gift of God. And as she laid out her life before Jesus, Jesus embraced her with love and grace. And now he has challenged each one of us to look at the harvest before us. And not to preach, you know, not to offer religion, but to share our story how we have been met with forgiveness, how Jesus has done something miraculous in our lives. It might be a little miracle. It might be a big one. Before a pondering and wondering humanity, Father, I pray that we might have the courage to share our story to those people who so desperately need to hear it. And not only who so desperately need to hear it, but I think are secretly longing to hear it. May we find the courage to do that this week even, and may we then... Have a story, a new story to tell. Would you pray this in your name? Amen.